I know that the general like thing that you're supposed to do for this type of speech is like open with some sort of like funny story or something, but I'm going to skip that because my dad said I wouldn't be funny enough to pull it off. So. <laughs> Uh, so hi, my name is Amy, um, and for the past nine months, I uh, was in a short-term missions program called REACH. Um, so for three months, I did training um, with my team and a couple of others in Columbus, Ohio. And then uh, we were sent to Phoenix, Arizona to work at an uh, organization called AimRight for six months. So I'll just go through it and I kind of tell you guys what it was like. Um, I came into REACH being like very, very skeptical of short-term missions. I had heard like, I had never been on a short-term mission myself, but I had heard like countless horror stories of like people who went to like the Bahamas and like sat on the beach, painted an orphanage and then went home. And it was just like not really something I ever wanted to be a part of. Um, and then since being in Phoenix, I had seen some like horror stories of short-term missions firsthand. And it was just like, I just came into it with um, a, very much a bias against it. Um, and I just like was very predisposed to believe that short-term missions benefited nobody, except maybe the missionary that was going. Um, so I thought that since I was blessed uniquely with self-awareness, I would go into training and I would know everything and I would know exactly what not to do, and I would be the perfect missionary. I would be self-aware, I would have zero culture shock or blunders, I would have zero white saviorism, and so much humility. <laughs> but I think my time in Phoenix um, has taught me that it's impossible to be the perfect missionary, just like it's impossible to be the perfect human. Um, everyone makes mistakes and everyone leaves their mission wishing they could have done more for the community and made fewer mistakes. Um, but I think God has taught me that that's kind of the point. People can only do so much when it comes to touching other people and building up other people's lives. And then it's God's job to kind of fill in the blanks and bring it to um, where he wants it to be. Um, so anyway, I started training in Columbus at the end of August. I think I got there like August 28th or something like that. And yes, so this is my team. Uh, that's Dylan, me, Sierra, Reed, and my team leader, Javen. Um, so I spent 12 weeks in Columbus getting to know them and learning to work together as a team. There are also two teams there besides mine. Um, one went to Albuquerque and one went to Albania. Um, so in training we had tons of different sessions every morning. We had sessions about all different facets of God and Christianity including things like the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, um, spiritual disciplines, the dangers of pride, and accepting God as the perfect father. And we also learned about a lot more practical things, um, like we had sessions about how to enter a culture respectfully and how to um, resolve conflict within our team. Uh, one week a speaker took three days just giving us like tips and tricks for how to control young kids because that's what we would all be doing to some extent. Um, also, each team during training was assigned some sort of like organization to volunteer at in Columbus for three months. Um, and our team was uh, assigned to go to Stowe Mission, which there's a picture of on the next slide. Yes. Oh, so that's the whole training altogether in Columbus. And then this picture is um, us at Stowe Mission. So Stowe is, is like an after school program um, for kids uh, grades K through eight. 
And it was definitely a challenge. It was one of the hardest things I had to do during um, training. I think the, the kids were always very rowdy and it was hard sometimes to agree with the leadership there, but it was definitely a great bonding experience um, for our team as we learned for the first time how to go through something hard together. And Stowe was one of the places where I first learned like a really hard lesson about what missions can look like. There was a, a girl there who was six when we met her, but she turned seven while we were there. And she would come in the afternoons basically every time we were there, so we really got to know her really well. Um, her name was Lovely, and she was not. <laughs> she, she, first of all, I don't really know why, but she really like attached herself to me, and um, like I would, she, I would always turn around, she would be right there, and she would never leave my side. And she had this super fun habit of like finding the grossest, slimiest thing she could that day, and then putting it all over her hands and chasing the volunteers. And we would try to like get as close to her as we could to stop her without getting it on our clothes. It was terrible. And she would, she was also like kind of physically abusive. She would kick and pinch and punch us constantly. She had this thing, I would wear my hair down sometimes, and she would like grab my hair and then lift her feet off the ground so she was hanging on just by my hair, and then I started putting it up. Um, and I was not exactly thrilled that I became her favorite, but I just tried to be as patient as I could with her because I didn't know what else to do. And it was really hard, just like, she never like, she never like went through this transformation or anything where she became a better person because she's six and she doesn't know how to do that yet. Um, and she would often ask to go, so Stowe has this like cool down room that's just like this room off to the side where kids can go if they're having a meltdown. And she would go in there a lot. And um, she started asking me to go in there with her and just to like sit with her and help her calm down. And so I would. And then when she was like finally calm, she would start telling me all of these stories about what's going on in her home life. And I won't go into it because it's pretty horrific. Um, but it was really uh, a lot of the ways she was treated by her parents, especially her dad. And um, it was just really hard to listen to that day after day, especially when it's a little kid and it's hard to tell, like, how much is she embellishing? How much is she telling the truth? And how much can I, like, ask her about this stuff? Because it was serious stuff. Um, and then, as soon as we were out of the cool down room, she would start, like, punching me or something. It was very uh, mentally and physically draining. Um, so Stowe ended up calling CPS for her and her brother because of the things that she was telling me and a couple other volunteers. Um, that was right before we left for Phoenix, so late November. And as far as I had known, like, I knew CPS was called, but nothing had changed in her home life. And um, <laughs> uh, now I don't know where she is, and I don't know if anything has changed. And it was really difficult to put all this effort and love into a kid. And then not only, like, not have it reciprocated by her, but then, like, not seeing anything change um, after all of the work I was pouring into it. And it was the first of many experiences where I realized that in missions you can like put so much effort and love into something or someone and then not see any change and like feel worse maybe even for your efforts. And the only thing that I came out of that experience with was this feeling like, well, I guess I just, I have to trust God that he's taking care of Lovely and hopefully he took her out of that situation. But if not, I know that uh, he has her in his hands. And I don't like that story and I wish that it wasn't part of this, and I wish that it had a better ending than just trust in God, but uh, it's the only one I've got, so uh, 
but yeah, it was definitely a first look at what missions can look like, um, the harder part of it. So uh, after training, uh, my team, all five of us, drove down to Phoenix, and we arrived at Aimright. Um, the ministry is located at a church, and we actually stayed in the church. Oh, this is um, all of the staff and interns and all of us. Um, so the REACH team stayed at the church where, where um, Aimright has all of their programming. Um, when we got there, they were hosting two youth groups a week. They had high schoolers on Monday nights and middle schoolers on Wednesday nights. Um, they were sending their interns and then also their REACH team to a couple of different outreaches in the city. So we went to a food and clothing bank called Harvest Compassion and a shelter for single moms called Hope Women's. Um, Aimright went through a lot of changes while we were there, but that's at least what it looked like um, when we first started going. Uh, I think on the next slide is a picture of, yes, yeah, so this is what we looked like. This is what um, Hope Women's was, a uh, shelter for single moms. We would do childcare or we would start donations. One time I found a purse that looked like a milk carton and I thought it was cool. <laughs> um, so we jumped right into stuff when we got there. Um, I think like two days after we got there, we had our first youth group. And I had lots of big expectations. Um, Maybe not necessarily like bringing strangers to tears while preaching on street corners or like praying the Holy Spirit into unsuspecting teens, but at least like making lifelong relationships with the youth there and having like deep conversations about God and the world that they would remember for the rest of their lives. And at the time that didn't seem like an unrealistic expectation, but uh, they were pretty quickly dashed. We had two weeks of normal programming we kind of slowly got into the rhythm of things, learned to recognize some faces. Um, we helped out with the youth groups, and we went to um, Harvest Compassion and Hope Women's. Um, and then, after two weeks, it was Christmas break. So the school closed for Christmas, so we had no more youth groups, and all of the staff and interns went to their homes for Christmas. And so we didn't. It was just us there. <laughs> so we were all by ourselves with essentially nothing to do, and no one else around, and we were only two weeks in. And that put a bit of a strain on our team life, and uh, yeah, it was really difficult. The only thing basically like outreach related that we did was we went to um, the food bank, Harvest Compassion, twice a week. Other than that, we sat around with nothing to do. Um, and we were also house sitting for some of the Aimright staff over Christmas, and so we were all spread out, and communication was just at a low, and it was a very, very tricky time, and it, I was really struggling with, like, why was I even here? I was here for two weeks, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting around doing nothing, and it was just like, I was just, like, holding out for the day when everyone would come back, and school would pick up again, and we could finally, like, get started. Um, so finally, in early January, the staff came back, and school was started up again, but I kid you not, the day after the last intern came back to Aimright, uh, Javen came down with COVID <laughs> and so we were all stuck inside the church for another 10 days at least I think it was actually close to two weeks because we were all very staggered we all got COVID but it was like as soon as someone got better someone else would get COVID so it ended up being a long time and that was right in the middle of a very big COVID spike that was happening in Phoenix and there were so many kids from the school that were also getting COVID and having to stay home in quarantine and so Caleb the director of Aimright just decided, let's just shut down programming for another couple of weeks and let everyone stay home, and then the church can be the REACH team's quarantine zone. 
So we still had nothing to do, except this time we're stuck at a church. We know everyone is just outside the door and we're all sick and we can't go anywhere. I was like, I was so frustrated. I was ready to like just leave. I was counting down the days till I could come back home because I did not see the point of staying. And I, I just kind of was like, well, this mission is a disaster. I'm not gonna change people's lives. And I like, really, I just came to Phoenix in the winter, so I'm just on vacation, and this is exactly what I wanted to avoid. This sucks. At last, near the end of January, everyone was out of quarantine, and the kids were all mostly over COVID, and they decided to get AIM right back up and running. We were basically two months into outreach. We had been there for December and January, and we had had two normal weeks of programming. It felt pretty discouraging to feel like we were this far along and only now just getting to know the kids. I would, oh, I'm on the wrong page. Um, it was, looking back though, I feel like we were able to get close to um, one of the teens that didn't go anywhere for Christmas and who was always pretty open to do fun things with us. Uh, her name was Desiree, and she was always super nice and super open to being our friend, even though she only knew us for uh, two weeks. Um, she was very friendly. She was always open to doing anything, to the point of being clingy sometimes, but I think that was good for us. We needed that. I think there's actually pictures of her on the next slide. It's her hanging out with us and doing fun things. Um, our friendship with her for a very long time stayed very superficial, which is normal for friendships of that length. And I didn't really understand why when she was so, like, she wanted to spend time with us so bad, but then, like, our conversations never really went past anything deeper than just, like, surface-level things. Um, and then, a few months in, we learned that she had a girlfriend, and she was very wary of Christians and the judgment that she might receive from them. And so she never really wanted to talk about her own personal life or anything that was going on because she was always worried about being judged. Um, and it was just like, yeah, I just wanted to like so desperately show her that God's love is unconditional and that like Christians can't accept her. Um, but it was very difficult because she was very wary. Um, one day she came into um, Sierra in my room after school and she just was very like, you could tell she had had a rough day and she wasn't speaking or anything. And then finally she just broke down and she started crying. And uh, after a while she opened up to us and she told us that she and her girlfriend were having relationship issues and she didn't know who to talk to and she didn't feel like she could talk to anybody at Aimright because she didn't know what they were gonna say. Um, and it was, I feel like it was definitely a God-given opportunity to show her that we love her unconditionally and that God doesn't hate her um, and neither do we. Uh, and it, it was not fun to see her sad at all, and I I wanted her to be happy, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um, but I was so grateful for the opportunity to show her love, and not like the hateful judgment that she's come to expect from Christians. And from then on, she was very like open to talking about her relationships with us and about just like any struggles in general that she was going through. And it was just a, a really great turning point in our relationship. So that was something good that came out of Christmas, but not much else. <laughs> um, February was comparatively a really great month. Um, I tried to focus more on doing what I was told and making sure the kids had fun and less on making sure that I individually had a really 
amazing impact because I had kind of given up on that. Um, Aim Right went through a director change in February with Caleb Reed, the old director, and his family moving to Ohio, and Jeff Chuck taking over. Um, and Jeff changed quite a few things about Aim Right. Um, the biggest one for our team being that we stopped going to Harvest Compassion and Hope Women's, and instead we started volunteering at um, an elementary school that was just across the street from the church. Um, we would go there twice a week and we would be teacher's assistants. And this was my absolute favorite part of Phoenix. I loved being a teacher's assistant. It was great. Those are some of my kids. I was put into a kindergarten class, so I was with all five-year-olds, and they were, oh, they were great. I loved hanging out with those kids, teaching them and playing with them, and because they were five, I didn't have to think very hard to teach them, like, one plus one is two, so that was really great. Um, so usually in that class, I would end up tutoring two kids that spoke Spanish almost exclusively. Um, their names were Denny and Eduardo, and actually, Eduardo is the one standing right there in the corner. And they were pretty far behind the other kids when it came to um, like adding or even knowing the alphabet or counting or stuff like that. Um, and Denny spoke absolutely no English. He didn't understand a word I was saying. Eduardo could understand a few phrases here and there. Um, and the only Spanish that I knew was like five or six phrases that I like would Google the night before and then save into my phone. So we were really like not, we could not understand each other and they were like so far behind in school that it was almost impossible to like show them how to do anything by myself. So what the teacher would do is she would queue up a bunch of YouTube videos for them to watch and then we'd have like corresponding worksheets and I would just have to kind of like guide them through the stuff that they had to do. But it was so frustrating to try and help kids that didn't understand what I was saying and then I wouldn't understand what they were saying. And it was like I could tell that they weren't retaining anything that they were hearing because the next day I would just go back to square one, like all the time. And I could tell that they were getting frustrated too and it was honestly kind of heartbreaking to see these kids struggle in a language that wasn't theirs um, and knowing that they're just falling further and further behind. They would get constantly antsy and restless and then I would get frustrated trying to keep them in their seats and it was just honestly a downward spiral. Um, Eventually, the teacher kind of realized that they were getting antsier, and she would let me take them outside um, halfway through their day, and um, I would go like play tag with them and help them run off a bit of steam. And then, so I would play tag for them for like five minutes and let them like get all of their energy and frustration out, and then just for fun because they really liked doing it and it would regulate their breathing. I would like do like sunrise breathing with them, and they would copy me, and it was very cute. Um, and that helped them a little bit to pay attention, but it was still very hard to teach them. And I was never really sure if they were learning anything. But one day, Eduardo, um, we, were learning, we were doing like the alphabet song, and he just pointed to X, and he went, X, X, X. And I was like, how did you know that? Because we were like, I didn't tell him that that was probably like the least useful letter of the alphabet, because <laughs> that wouldn't have been helpful. But I was just so proud of him that he managed to remember just like one word and one sound, even if it's just an X. And then from then on, whenever we did the alphabet song, he would, remember, he would point out like the letter we were learning that day, and then he would also point out X. He would constantly, like the day after, forget any other letter, but he never forgot X. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, another proud moment that I realized Maybe they're actually learning something is when the teacher asked Denny 
in front of the whole class if he could count to 10 in English. And he did it almost perfectly, which was such a big thing for him. And I was so proud of him. And it was like, just like the realization like, oh, they're actually learning something. And it might not be the most useful thing in the world, but like they're capable and they can do it. It was just such a great moment. Um, one time the kids were all eating lunch together. They sit in lines like this. And Denny was sitting next to one of his friends who was having like an absolute meltdown, like he was not doing well. And um, he just turned to him and he was like, no, 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 do this. And I was just like, oh, that's so cute. And like, just like that nice moment of realizing like, we might have a language barrier and I get frustrated with them all the time, but like, they're still learning and like, growing as children and even though it's not like they are still by far like miles behind their classmates and they still don't really know that much English like that's not really what matters like being able to like lay a foundation for their futures and like showing them how to <coughs> regulate breathing um, it was just like a really encouraging time um, and I was very grateful to be able to see like a little bit of payoff for my work because that doesn't always happen um, but yeah, that was just a really cool time. I loved hanging out with those kids. Um, March was very, very busy, to say the least. Um, the kids at the school had March break, um, so we hosted a week of VBS for the kids. And then the next week, oh yes, this is their VBS. And then the next week, um, we threw a block party. And for both uh, events, youth groups would come out to help us. And I got to see firsthand how a week-long missions trip could succeed and how it could kind of fail, um, which was very helpful for me. <laughs> the first youth group that came to help from, for our VBS, um, it was about 40 people, and they came from Ohio. Their job was to run all of the stations of the VBS. So um, there was a Bible story station, there was a craft station, a snack station, um, and a game station. And the rest of us would take the kids from um, station to station. Um, this youth group was from a very, very Mennonite church. Like, the girls were all decked out in skirts and head coverings, and they all had very strong Pennsylvania Dutch accents. Um, so as you can imagine, that is a very, very different culture than the one at Aimright. But despite that, they jumped into everything with so much enthusiasm. They did not make it a big deal that they that Aimright does things differently than them. They just they did it that way for a week instead of the way that they were used to. They did what they were told, um, and they did it all like very cheerfully and with enthusiasm. Um, they offered suggestions for how to do things, but for the most part, took directions from Jeff and the rest of the Aimright staff. Um, and they cared more about making things fun and memorable for the kids than about getting to know every single one and putting the pressure on themselves to like change individual lives. Um, they just wanted to make sure the kids had a fun week. Um, no job was too menial for them, and they were never embarrassed to do something silly to make the kids laugh. They were so very um, humble in what they were doing and yeah, that week of VBS ended up probably being one of my favorite weeks in Phoenix, uh, largely in part to that youth group. The week after, we threw a block party for the neighborhood on Wednesday. We had um, a bouncy castle, we had like an inflatable uh, 
obstacle course, there was face paint, there was carnival games, it was a whole deal. Um, and a youth group from Amarillo came to help us out. There were 70 of them, and they were all very energetic and loud. They were extremely helpful in setting up and getting everything ready, and uh, they brought a lot of the stuff that I don't think we could have done the block party without, like the bouncy castles. Um, they turned out to be not quite as helpful during the actual party. In general, they were pretty unaware of what was going on around them. They would all crowd the face paint table so none of the kids could get to it. They would leave the bounce house and the obstacle course unmanned so that all of the Aimright staff was tied up doing that. Um, and they took up most of the evening singing and dancing to some of the whitest dance songs I've ever heard. Like, it was, it was kind of crazy. I didn't think that they could pick like so many dance songs that just all sounded the same, but they did. Um, and they would all be like out on the basketball court, just like jamming out to their heart's content. And then everyone who came to the block party from the neighborhood would kind of just be sitting on the chairs watching them. Like, what is this music? What are they doing? Um, and the youth group was just kind of oblivious to what the community around them wanted and saw as fun and just did what they wanted and saw as fun because they assumed it was the same. And it was pretty frustrating to watch at the time and it was kind of a good reminder of like what not to do on a missions trip. Um, just like assuming that you know what's going to be fun for others because it's fun for you um, and kind of just ignoring the instructions that you were given. I'm not trying to say that the youth group was full of terrible people. And the block party was not a total failure because it, was, it wasn't. It was really fun. Um, but it was a great reference point for me to look back on as a reminder of what works and what doesn't. Um, I made a lot of mistakes, especially when it came to attitude in Phoenix. I was not always willing to help. And I didn't always understand how the tasks that I were given could possibly help aim right in any way. And if I didn't understand it, the likelihood that I would do it cheerfully went way down. Um, I didn't always want to hang out with kids, especially the middle school youth group could be quite a handful. Um, and it was not always my favorite to go and hang out with them and I wouldn't always do it uh, with a smile. And my team didn't always support each other. We were full of imperfect human beings and we didn't always do the best that we could. And we didn't do everything perfectly, and we weren't nearly as effective as we could have been. Um, things definitely didn't go as planned. I was weak, and my team was weak, and continuously weakened, especially in our first few months. It was made extremely obvious right from the beginning of outreach that I wasn't going to be doing anything special. I probably wasn't going to be transforming lives or bringing swarms of people to God or even talking to people about God on a daily basis. I hung out with five-year-olds and then I hung out with teens. We talked about YouTubers and hairstyles and anxiety and basketball and dating and depression and TikTok. And once in a while, we talked about God. I didn't realize at the beginning that outreach was just a whole bunch of random things that God somehow stitches together. I didn't realize that my outreach would be teaching crochet stitches to an elderly woman in broken Spanish. And I didn't realize it would be playing literally hundreds of games in sharks and minnows, or making sure that only two kids at a time could go into the bounce house. 
And I didn't realize it would be helping to head up a fundraiser where we baked and decorated over 600 cupcakes for a missions trip that I wouldn't get to go on. I didn't realize that it would be going to prom, but it kind of is. Outreach is making yourself available for whatever people need you for and showing you care for those people. It's being present and having fun with them and helping them to achieve their goals. I didn't always see results, but in the end, that's not what I went for, and that's not what I'm going back for. God takes care of those however he wants to. Also, I got to have uh, the opportunity to hike the Grand Canyon at the end of April. Uh, we trained for about three months going on random hikes in Phoenix because they are aplenty there. Um, so the Grand Canyon hike ended up being 27 kilometers, give or take, and it took us nine hours and 57 minutes, which is three minutes below our goal. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was, oh, it was so, so pretty, and it was so amazing to feel like I accomplished something like that. It's really fun to do something hard like that with your friends, and we were all brought closer together because of the experience. It was a little rough to form and pop the same blister during one hike, um, but other than that, it was great. And then the day after that, I strapped on a pair of heels and went to prom. So that's basically all I have. I just wanted to talk about a couple more things. Uh, Aimright, if you feel like Aimright is something you want to support, they're always accepting donations. Um, during the summer when school's out, they have tons of weeks of VBS. They just got back from a week of camp in Colorado where they take their seniors, um, well, actually, most of their high schoolers, um, to a camp in Colorado. Um, and it's one of the few times that those kids get to leave the city and see someplace other than their neighborhood. Um, so if you want to support their summer activities or just in general their year-long programming, um, you can go to their website and give to them. I am also planning on going back to Aimright as an intern, hopefully in September, but I'm still working out the details. So if you would like to donate to me, I will not say no. <laughs> um, I'm still figuring out the logistics of how to donate, but stay tuned. Um, okay, so I'm basically done. I just want to close with something that my teammate Sierra put in her last uh, uh, email to her supporters, kind of like a, uh, a summary of what REACH is, and I feel like it sums it up pretty well. <clears throat> REACH was a long and typically hard road. My view on missions has changed a lot since coming to REACH. I've learned that longer-term missions isn't fun all of the time. You're constantly exhausted, challenged, and beaten down. You pour out more than you're poured into, which can typically leave you feeling empty. You have hopes and expectations that are not always met, and you typically feel like you are failing and are left asking yourself if you're even making an impact at all. But then, a little kid cries when you leave or unexpectedly tells you that they are grateful for what you do for them. You get swarmed by 15 fourth graders and swallowed in hugs. You get to tell a teenage girl the Easter story and tell a girl who doesn't believe that Christians accept her that she is loved beyond belief by us and her father in heaven. And then all the difficulty, exhaustion, and hopelessness seems like a small price to pay. I will admit I complained a lot. There were a lot of times that all I wanted to do was just come home and be done. But looking back, I would definitely do it all over again. I am so grateful for my time in Phoenix. I am grateful for all of the people that made me and my team feel at home. I am grateful for all of the kids that I got to build relationships with. I am grateful for everything I got to learn along the way. And I am so grateful for all of you who made all this possible for me. Thank you so, so much. Thank you.